Amen. Well, we're talking about vision, and if you recall, uh, I started last week by talking about the vision of our church, the vision and distinctives. There is a sheet in the back. If you never got the sheet, um, you can grab one on your way out. Um, we're going to be talking through our vision and distinctives as Gates Vineyard because we need to know where we're going if we want to know what we're going to be doing, right? If we want to know where we should go, we need to have the vision. And I told a couple of stories last week about GPS stories, about people who blindly follow their GPSs and end up in places they don't want to go. And um, so I have one more GPS story because I just like, I just think they're so funny. Um, and so this story is about a guy who was in Bergen, Switzerland. He was driving on a mountain road and he did not know where he was. See, this is the whole problem. We don't know where we are and we follow blindly, then we don't get to where we want to go. So he was following his navigation system and it kept telling him to turn right and turn left and turn right and turn left. And the road kept going higher and higher and getting smaller and smaller. And so then as he's driving, he says, I was lost, but I kept hoping that each little turn would get me back to the main road. See, he had no idea where he was, and so he just kept following it blindly until finally he found himself so on a road so narrow that he could no longer go forward, but he couldn't turn around either. And so he said, I was completely stranded, and at the end, the GPS finally told me to turn around. It was a little late. He couldn't even edge his van any which way. It turned out that he was stranded on a remote mountain footpath, and they actually had to get a heavy-lifting helicopter to lift him and his van off the side of the mountain. The uh, rescue worker said this. It's kind of shocking he got that far. Basically, he was driving all that way on a little goat path. It was a remote goat path. So this is what happens when we don't know where we are. We don't know where we're going, and we just keep driving because we don't know what else to do, uh, and this is why we need vision. So I'm going to remind us of our vision statement today, and um, I'm going to start to encourage you to memorize it. I know it's not scripture, okay? You should memorize scripture before you memorize this, but this is also good to know that you can, when people say, what's your church about? You can say this. This is what we're about. And so here it is. Gate City Vineyard is a welcoming, come-as-you-are community of Jesus followers. Just say that part with me. Say it. Gate City Vineyard is a welcoming, come-as-you-are community of Jesus followers who seek to spread the, good, the love of God wherever we go and invite others to experience that love for themselves. Let's say it one more time. Gate City Vineyard is a welcoming, come-as-you-are community of Jesus followers who seek to spread the love of God wherever we go and invite others to experience that love for themselves. That's a good word, right? That's what we want. That's what we desire for ourselves and for our church. And so there are more items on the front page of that, which kind of, of the sheet, which kind of go into those in more detail. Um, but we're going to actually go ahead and talk about the back of the page. Because the back of the page is a bunch of distinctives. Those other um, descriptions kind of elaborate on the main vision. But on the back, there's a bunch of distinctives. And you might wonder, what is all of this? Why all this writing? Did the board just get carried away and we just started writing and writing and writing? Maybe you could argue we did. Um, <laughs> there's a few of us on here that are wordy. Um, but, but I've got to tell you, uh, the reason we have distinctives is because we wanted to point out what is it that makes our church different from any other church? Why go to Gate City Vineyard when there are hundreds of other churches in Greensboro? And I've got to tell you, there's a lot of churches in Greensboro. This kind of blew me away when I first got here. There is every kind of church here, every single denomination you can think of, every type of church. I was just driving around last weekend with my brother and sister-in-law, and we passed by the Dormition of the Theotokos Greek Orthodox Church. And she said, you've got one of everything here, don't you? I was like, 
Yep, we sure do. I mean, that's the one if you need that church. So, you know, it's incredible how many churches we have here. And honestly, so many of them are doing incredible work. As I said last week, so many have vision statements that we could read and go, oh, that's awesome, like good stuff. So why, why come here? Why do we have a church? What, what is God doing here? Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking it's because we're the best looking. That's why they should come here. I mean, look at y'all. Like, you're so good looking. But maybe, maybe people are looking for something more than that. And this is why we decided to set out our distinctives. Who are we as a church? And I do think that we sit in a place that is not occupied by many churches, even in this well-churched city. We sit in that radical middle that I discussed last week, and it's a vineyard distinctive that we sit in a radical middle. We're not afraid to hold two things in tension as we pursue biblical truth in our culture and in our world today. We don't tend to extremes. We sit in that middle place. You're going to see this brought to bear in almost every part of our vision and distinctives as we go through this, this middle place. We focus on the unchanging truths of the word, but we also are led by very much changing winds of the spirit. We believe in and spreading the gospel of Jesus wherever we go, but we also want to be the hands and feet of Jesus and, and, and bring about justice and peace and shalom in our world today. And we're in the world. We care about the issues of the world. We care about politics and all of those things that are going on in our world. But the gospel we preach is about Jesus. It's about his, the solution that Jesus has for the world, not human solutions, but on the solution of Jesus. And we're conservative enough to follow orthodox creeds of the Christian faith, but y'all are progressive enough to have a female pastor. I mean, yay, you know, radical middle. That's radical middle. I'm glad about that one. So one of the concepts I think that can help us when we think about this middle, uh, this radical middle, is the idea of wholeness. And this is why this word wholeness comes up all over the distinctives of three sections of wholeness, teaching the whole gospel, caring for the whole person, and functioning as a whole and healthy church. See, that wholeness helps you to not go on to extremes and not miss things. Because as, as people, we tend to take what we like and throw out the rest, don't we? I know there's a few of you out here who, who don't like the frosting, you only like the cake. I don't know what's wrong with y'all. You're probably dropped on your head or something because the frosting is the best part. But anyway, you know, some of you like, and so what do you do? You take a, you take a slice of cake and then you, you, you push the frosting off the cake, right? And you leave it on the plate and you just eat the cake part. So you take what you like, leave the rest, right? We tend to do that. Some of you in school, right? You were in school and you like to learn things, but you don't like to read. And so how did you manage that? Well, what you did is you took took pretty good notes in class while you're listening, and then you kind of just skim the book, right? You just skim it. You kind of like look at the first line of each paragraph. You see if you got, you know, the idea of it, because you don't really like to read. You just take the thing you like to do. I know some of you got through school that way, and so that's, you know, what we do. We just take what we like, and we leave the rest. And of course, this is true in churches as well, is it not? It's so true in churches uh, and the Christian life. There are some churches that are all about the worship, beautiful, beautiful music, incredibly talented musicians. You know, they worship for ages, and it's awesome. But, you know, they want the sermon to be kind of Bible light. You know, don't get too deep on me. You know, we don't, we don't want to scare anybody off, so they keep the sermon Bible light. And then there's other churches which go the opposite way, right? 45 minutes of deep exegesis of Isaiah, right? They're right in there in the heavy-duty stuff. But let's not get into that emotional musical thing. Let's just keep it at two hymns and we're done, and let's not get too carried away. 
This is, very, this is how we are as Christians. We are, some of us are very focused on helping the poor in the community, but are very reluctant to talk about coming to Jesus, and others only want to talk about the gospel of Jesus, and yet never get outside the doors to help their neighbor. So we all tend to these extremes. This is very human. We should not be surprised about this, that this is the way we are, but this is why we're using this word whole in the distinctives. It's an attempt to say, yes, we know we are going to tend naturally on our own way to extremes. We are going to tend to leave out things we don't necessarily prefer or have heard or, or are, are familiar with. But here at Gate City Vineyard, we want to be about the whole gospel. We want to be about helping the whole person. We want to be a whole and healthy church. That's what we want to be. And so here's what this means that I'm guessing at some point or another, you're going to be challenged or even a little uncomfortable with something. <laughs> all of us. Because we all lean, don't we? We lean away. We lean this way, just a little bit. We think we're pretty solid. Our feet are on the ground, but we still lean in one way or another. We're none of us whole. And so we need, to be, we need to be reminded of ourselves to, that we need to be challenged. It's good when we're challenged. It's good when you hear something, you go, oh, wow, I've never really thought about that, or I don't know, you know, it's good, it's good. Can we lean into that together as a church? That we're going to learn from each other, that we're going to learn from different perspectives, even just in this room, of, of how to walk out this gospel, how to live the whole gospel, the whole Christian life. And as I said last week, we certainly don't have it all in the bag right now. This is a work in progress, right? A, a vision is what we're aiming to be. It's not what we are at the moment. And so we're, we're gonna, we need to work together to be a whole church, following the whole gospel, caring for the whole person, being a whole and healthy church. So today I'm going to just talk about this first one, the whole gospel. And um, it starts out on that back page, if you're following along, the first statement talks about believing in Jesus for our salvation. This is the basic. This is the, this is the, the bottom line, okay? The whole good news is that Jesus' death on the cross and, recon and resurrection reconciles us to God through the forgiveness of sins and spiritual rebirth. Let me say that again. The whole good news is that Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection reconciles us to God through the forgiveness of sins and spiritual rebirth. If this wasn't true, none of us would even be here. Okay, there'd be no point in us meeting. We'd have a nice club maybe, but this is, this is what we're about. Scripture talks about it over and over again. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love, say his great love. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And 1 Peter 1.3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth 
into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I could go on and on and on. There is verse after verse after verse in our scripture about how Jesus brings us his peace by Jesus. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that he died for you and for me and has given us new life. And while it may seem like foolishness to the world, and it will, we believe that Jesus was the Son of God and he died on a cross, and he was resurrected back to life, and now comes to give us new life and, new, and a new rebirth. We believe it. That's what we believe. And we also firmly believe that it is true that every one of us needs to be reconciled to God, that we are all by nature creatures who turn away from the Creator. We all tend to go our own way, as Paul puts it, gratifying the cravings of the flesh. It's our natural way. And if we're honest, deep down in our heart of hearts, we know that we are broken and in need of wholeness. That there's shame and there's fear and there's guilt within us that we can't seem to shake. That there is an emptiness within us, as they like to say, a God-shaped hole that only he can fill. We know this is true. And Jesus is calling every one of us into a relationship with him to fill up that hole, to fill us up with his spirit, to give us new life. This is the gospel. This is, this is the gospel. And Jesus goes on to say that I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So another thing that we hold on as a distinctive is that we do believe that this is the only way to come to God is through Jesus Christ. That's the only way. There's no other way out of the emptiness of life that that, that the world brings. There's no other way to get healed of all these wounds that are inflicted on us by other sinful and, and people in need of Jesus. There's no other way out of our tendency even to sabotage ourselves and to make choices that are not for us. There's no other way to hope in this hopeless world that we have. It is Jesus. It is Jesus who saves and sets us free. And so, of course, we respect and honor other people in their religions and other faiths. We don't put them down. We don't, we, in fact, many religions grasp many aspects of the truth. They grasp aspects of, of the creator God and of love and of forgiveness. There's, there's many things that other faiths might grasp. But as Jesus followers, what we believe is that Jesus is the only one who can reconcile us to God, yeah. that he's the only one. That nothing reconciles us to God, nothing cleanses us, but trusting in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we're not ashamed of the gospel. This is the gospel that we believe, and we speak it with kindness and with grace and with gentleness and with humility that this is what God has just done in my life. Nothing but Jesus. Therefore, our distinctive states we seek every opportunity to share what Jesus has done for us and to give people the opportunity to experience forgiveness and new life through the love of Jesus Christ. We've been talking a lot um, over the last couple of months about telling our stories, about not being afraid to tell your story, about what Jesus has done in your life, about making, taking those opportunities to talk about the difference that he's made in your life, how he saved you, what, what, what it's like to walk with him. Tell your stories. Tell it to your friends. It needs to be part of our culture as a church that we're always thinking, whatever event we're having, service or event, how can I help people to see the love of Jesus? And it might be through my service, and it might be through am I speaking about Jesus. It might be through a lot of different ways, but how can I help people just to see the love of Jesus? How can I help them to have the questions that they have be answered? 
How can I help them to find the answers they seek? And we're going to keep having altar calls here. I'm going to preach the gospel, and I'm going to invite people to commitment to Christ. That this is one of the things we can do here in this safe space, that we can commit ourselves to following Jesus. And I hope that every week, some way, I speak to anyone here who may not know Jesus, who, who is either questioning or seeking, or perhaps you're just dragged here by a family member and you got no choice to be here, or maybe you used to walk with Jesus and you've kind of fell away. I hope that every week somehow you get the message that Jesus is here for you. He's here to answer your questions. He's answered, here to speak with you. He's not rushing you. He's not mad at you. He loves you, and he has, he's just inviting you to come and walk with him, to come and start the journey with him. That's what Jesus is doing. Listen, church, Jesus is the best of what we offer to the world. He's the best. I mean, we got a decent band up here. They sound real nice. You know, you got a speaker who at least doesn't put you to sleep, you know, at least I'm loud and move around a lot, you know, so at least I could, I could do that. We would do some nice things in the community. We feed people and we help people. You know, we're a good church. We're nice people, but, but Jesus is the best of what we got, okay? Jesus is the best. That's what we offer. Oh. It just gives me chills. I don't know why. Even when I was writing that, I, I started to cry. Jesus is the best of what we've got. And so never, never be ashamed of that. And wear it on your sleeve. You know, I'm like, I'm a Jesus person. I'm sorry, I'm a Jesus person. I just love him, and he's made a difference in my life. May this place exude the love of Jesus and his presence. All right, we're going to go on. The whole gospel is also <coughs> trusting in the whole word of God. We need to, we, our statement number three there says, we desire strong, relevant, practical preaching from the entire word of God, which we trust, learn, and engage with as our rule of life. Second Timothy 3.16 says this, all scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture we teach from the whole word of God, the whole word of God. And listen, there's many debates out there about whether the, the word of God is inerrant or infallible or literal and all of these things. And, these, and in fact, definitions of those words among scholars are even differ. So if I were to say to you one or the other, you wouldn't even know which one I meant. So there's a lot of discussion. I want to just give you our vineyard statement of faith. I think that's a great place for us to start. And it says this, that we believe in the sufficiency of scripture. I love that word, the sufficiency of scripture. It says, we believe that the Holy Spirit inspired the human authors of Holy Scripture so that the Bible is without error in the original manuscripts. We receive the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments as our final absolute authority, the only infallible rule of faith and practice. So it's completely sufficient and trustworthy. You have everything you need to know to walk with Jesus and to be, and to be saved and to have a new life with him. It's all in here. Okay, you don't have to worry about that. It also doesn't mean that we don't need to use wisdom and study what the heck it means. There's a lot of it that's hard to understand, okay? It was written by humans in a particular time and place, in a particular culture, using examples that would resonate with them that don't necessarily resonate with us, using words that we wouldn't necessarily know. So we need to study it. 
Okay? Just because we believe in the main and the plane of Scripture doesn't mean that we don't have to study what the main and the plane really means. Okay? It was written to people in their context, and so we have to understand first, what did it mean to them? And then we ask ourselves, okay, and to know what, God, what was God trying to tell to us as a universal truth that we take now thousands of years later, okay? There's a study that goes on there. We have to become students of the Word. It's not a simple process. But at the end of the day, we can study, we can debate, but Scripture is for us to live out. It's meant to be practical. There's a reason the word practical is in there because it's meant for us to live out if, if you read this book and it's just words on a page, but what's crazy is that if I ask Jesus to speak to me through it, he does. It's alive too, okay? His, he is, he is, his very essence is in the pages and he's speaking to us through it. So we, we're meant to read it. We can debate all you want about seven days of creation or Noah or whatever you want. That's fine, but let's, let's live it. Let's live it. Let's, let's see what it's saying about living with my husband or living with my wife or living with my kids or my in-laws or parents. It's meant for us to live it out. And so we thank God for it. It is our authority. It's the word of God. And so we must, as Paul admonished Timothy, study to present yourself to God as one approved who correctly handles the word of God. And this means we study the entire word. Now here's his true statement. Every age, every culture, every country, every, every people group takes the bits of the Bible they like and that feel right and that resonate in our current culture and they kind of ignore the other ones. It's kind of like the, the, the cake, you know, that you just you know, kind of scrape off the frosting. We kind, of, we kind of ignore the other ones. And when you look back on church history, you can see how this was true in the church's response to slavery, to women and the patriarchy even to worship, about singing, whether you should sing or not sing, music styles, all these things that every, every age, uh, church government, you can see it even when you cha- travel to churches today in other parts of the world, you're going to find them talking about scriptures and emphases that you're going to like, I never thought about that. But they think about it because it's, it's relevant for their culture. It's what, how God is speaking to them. And so, you know, most of us don't really believe this. We think, okay, yeah, in the past, maybe they got things wrong about that whole slavery thing. That was definitely a mess up. But, you know, today we don't do that, right? So, you know, we, we kind of say, today we got it all right. Now we really understand what it says. And I just want to say, really? <laughs> I want to just urge us to have humility when we approach the Scripture. We, are, we cannot look at the scripture outside of our own cultural lens. You are all, most of you anyway, Americans. Um, you know, we're, we've lived in America. If, even if we're not Americans, we've lived here a long time. Uh, 21st century technology, all of this, that informs how you look at every bit of the scripture. And so we need to have that humility, that humility to realize that, that some things we know better now than maybe churches have in the past, and some things maybe we've, we've missed, we've lost. Some of us resonate more with the law and justice side of God, and some of us resonate more with the love and forgiveness side of God. But we have to realize that all of us need to be challenged. We, none of us understands the whole word of God. 
And so this is part of our study, and this is part of our challenge as a church. We want to know the entire word as best as we can. This is why we listen to other types of writers. We listen to other cultures. We listen to other time periods. Go back to the ancient, ancient Christians, and we go back to the Middle Ages, and we go back to the Reformation. We go back to now, and we also look at other countries and how they, how they look at the word and other ethnicities and other races. How do, how do they look at the word, and what do they see? These are all people who love the Lord, love the word of God, respect it as, it's, as the holy word of scripture and yet we can learn we can learn and, and grow okay so this is we have to realize that we all need to be challenged that we need to resist the urge to think we have all the answers resist the urge to neglect certain parts of the bible or hold on to some views simply that's because what we've always heard or what we were always taught we must learn look to learn and follow the entire word of god someone say entire word of god all right, we're going to go on to being led by the Holy Spirit. This is our next section in this distinctive. The next li- this is so important that I can't do it justice in this little tiny snippet of, of, a, of a vision statement. Um, I promise we will talk a lot about the Holy Spirit over the next months and years, but, but this is the statement. We seek the powerful leading of the Holy Spirit for all of life, following his guidance, desiring his gifts, and longing for his presence as he makes us more like Jesus. This is a truly important vineyard distinctive that we follow the Holy Spirit, that we believe in the Holy Spirit for all of life and ministry. This is why we start so many prayers and so many times of worship with what? What's the phrase we always say? Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. We believe he wants to move. We believe he wants to act. So we're charismatic. We believe in the charismata or the gifts that God has poured out on people and we believe that there are supernatural gifts, tongues and prophecies and words of knowledge and and healing that God pours out supernatural gifts. He also pours out what we might call more natural gifts, although I think they're all supernatural because God empowers them, but but gifts of teaching and pastoring and hospitality and service and so on. All of these are gifts given by the Holy Spirit for us and it's very clear from scripture that they're not given to control others or to make, you know, to lift up the person with all the gifts, but they're to encourage the church. Let me just give you a couple scriptures here. 1 Corinthians 14, 12. So it is with you, since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. And 1 Peter 4, 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And so here again, we are in the radical middle, right? We, we hold on to the word of God, but we also listen for the Holy Spirit. We know that he's going to guide us and lead us. And so we don't go about talking about things in the, that the Spirit told us that are in conflict with the word. That was not from the Spirit if it's in conflict from the word. God is not split up. He's the Trinity, one God in one. So they're not going to disagree with each other. And we also will always use gifts and spiritual gifts in accordance with the gentleness of Jesus with respect and gentleness and love and encouragement for all. So we're not going to be shouting prophecies over institutions and people. We're not going to be saying words over people that are destructive or unkind. They're always for the edification of the person that that word is for. Our worship services and our prayer times are not going to be chaotic. They're not going to be, you know, sort of free-for-all. We're not going to, we don't need to work ourselves up into something supernatural. No, God is naturally supernatural, as as Relisa talked about. He can just show up right now while you're sitting right there. And he does. I know, I can see it on faces, that he just shows up. And so we welcome him. We expect him. And we allow him to work in his way and at his timing. 
I want to end with the last one, number five, pursuing justice and compassion. These are all aspects of the whole gospel, big, big gospel we got here. And this last one is to pursue justice and compassion. We seek every opportunity to be agents of justice and compassion in the world, feeding the hungry, defending the oppressed, welcoming the refugee and immigrant, protecting the unborn, respecting God's creation, and caring for the widow and orphan. It is very telling that when Jesus first came and first started speaking uh, in one of the first synagogues he spoke in, he emphasized the holistic nature of his ministry. He quoted from Isaiah, Luke 4. Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus came. Yeah, he's a big God. He came. He came to work in the physical world and the spiritual world and everything in between. God is restoring the entire fallen universe by bringing his peace, his shalom. And so this is going to be an area also that we will often talk about that I think is a distinctive for us. I think it makes us distinctive because we at the same time decry the violence that we see out in the public sphere and that guns are in the hands of, of people that shouldn't have guns. We decry that. We grieve the issue of racism, that it's still present in our world. And we also seek our own, search our own hearts for prejudice and, and, and preferences that may be harmful to others. We seek our own heart. We advocate we advocate for changes in unjust systems that discriminate against people, whether because of their gender or their race or their, their sexual preference or anything else. We, we, because every person is made in the image of God. We want justice for all. We also fight for the unborn because we believe that they are, they are children of God, made in God's image from that moment of conception, and we, we, we pray for them. We long for them to be rescued. And at the same time, we also care for the mothers and the babies who are, who are struggling, who aren't sure how they're going to make, make, that, make, it, make it happen. And so we, we defend them. We provide practical support and love for them. We also weep over the destruction of our environment. It's God's creation. He gave it to us to be stewards of. So we weep over that. We welcome the refugee and the immigrant seek to help them to make their way in our country. We care deeply for the poor, the food insecure, for those who've lost jobs, unemployment rates. We care about that stuff. We want to help people who need relief. And we long for people to find the freedom that only comes by trusting Jesus and becoming a new creation in Christ. We long for that. It's quite a list, isn't it? It's kind of different, isn't it? It doesn't fall into one political category. It doesn't even fall into an ideological category. But guess what? I hope that you agree with me that this list falls into the only category that matters, the Jesus category. This is a biblical view of life and of justice and of compassion and of mercy and of salvation and, and of, of who we're meant to be. 
And so we will always be pushing back on what does the Bible say? Who are we meant to be as the people of God? How are we meant to help? Who are we meant to, to stand up for? Who are we meant to set free? Who are we meant to be the hands and feet of Jesus for? So there's no doubt, after going through this whole list of the, the full gospel, the, entire, the whole gospel, that none of us are complete, are we? <laughs> Most of us don't live according to the whole gospel. If you do, come talk to me after. Maybe you can teach the next one, okay? Each of us comes to Christ for our own personal reasons, in our own particular churches, and under certain kinds of teaching that resonated for us. And so that's what we tend to take on and say, well, that's the thing, right? That's the only thing that matters. And yet, yet someone else down the street came to Christ for a completely different reason in a completely different kind of church with a different emphasis. And so we all start out somewhat narrow in our understanding of what the gospel is. It's just what matters to us. <laughs> and I honestly think that growth in the Christian life is many, in many ways is us becoming more whole. Not just whole in person, but whole in our understanding of how big and wide and incredible our gospel is and our God is. What would our church be like if we all began to live and teach the whole gospel? It starts with coming to Jesus. It begins with him. We might like a lot of these other things we're talking about, start with Jesus. The spiritual journey starts with him. None of us can find soul health apart from Jesus. None of us can do good kingdom work out in the world without Jesus. And so there's a person here I want you all to meet. It's a capital P person. It's Jesus. And he's here today. Only Jesus can heal. Only Jesus can take us from our doubts to faith. Only Jesus can heal us from the wounds that we have. Only Jesus can take us outside of the, the fears and the shame and the guilt that we walk around with every day. Only Jesus. And so there's an invitation this morning to come to him. And you might say, well, I've been to church my whole life. I don't need to come to Jesus. And I'll quote good old Keith Green when he said, Coming to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. <laughs> you might say, I prayed a prayer a long time ago, so I'm a Christian, I think. How are you walking with him? Have you decided to commit yourself to just walking his way? Sometimes we can lose our way. And God says, I'm right here. You can come right on back. You can come right on back. So I'm going to invite Charles to come up to just play a little bit. I, I really believe that God is working on some hearts right now. Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so this is the start of the healing, to repent of our sins, to say, Jesus, I believe, and I want to start to walk with you. And I believe God is working in some hearts today. You may be surprised a little bit that maybe I thought I'd Committed myself to God, but, but something's stirring in you right now. Maybe I, I didn't, actually, or never quite got there. I want to give you an opportunity to receive the good news right now, to receive Jesus. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And 
I'm going to pray a prayer of commitment to Jesus, commitment to following him, to saying, I'm, I'm going to stop sitting on the sidelines, but I'm, I, I, I've seen enough to believe, and so I'm going to, I want to walk forward with you, Lord. And I think for some of you today, you could pray this in your seat, but I think some of you today need to come up to the altar. You may be committing yourself to Jesus. Maybe it's recommitting. But I feel like God is calling some of us to come up and, and physically put, to, put, it to the, put it to the feet, put our feet to it. And to say, I want to follow Jesus. It starts here. This is the beginning of the whole gospel. The key point So I encourage you to pray with me now. Lord God, I just want to tell you today that I believe. I believe. It's not that there aren't some doubts here and there. But I believe that you're, you're the Son of God and you died for my sins. And that you love me. And that you'll take me just as I am. And to God, just as I am, I come to you. I'm sorry for running away from you for so long. I'm sorry for trying to fill up that hole with other things. I want to know you, Jesus. I want to know you. So I say, yes, Jesus, I, I come to you. I commit my heart to you. And I receive your love that's just flowing down. Just open my heart up to it. I receive your forgiveness and your welcome. Thank you, Jesus. I receive your love. need to be ashamed anymore. I don't need to pretend anymore that I've got it together when I really don't. going to take a few moments in this space to just talk to him. I'm going to invite the prayer team to come up if they want to. If anyone wants prayer, you can just go ahead over to this table here on my left. I'm just going to sing this song quietly, but it's an invitation. The invitation is open. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus.